0: on Young Nostalgia. Damn it! I'm all out of quarters. Let's take a look. (laughs) Hello, Wayne. Welcome back to another wonderful, amazing, steaming, absolutely baking episode of Young Nostalgia. This is none other then our favorite position episode 69 thanks so much for joining us you guys absolutely rock ben and i are podcasting to you on a memory foam mattress for only reasons that we know ben how you doing big guy (laughs) um
1: i'm doing i'm doing good that was was an interesting introduction um doing pretty good
0: good good he just caught me so off guard (laughs) -guard with all of that (laughs) (laughs) welcome back so much it's so good to see you man i love doing this kind of thing but uh after (laughs) after doing that uh short little intro of what this week's going to be about i uh kind of forgot that you know episode 69 is going to be all about the history of arcades but when i said that we're all out of quarters that could also mean that we're at the laundromat and we didn't do our whites and so now we're all out of underwear so you know this I'm it could be, sh- also be the history of
1: laundromats i'm sure it's getting people all screwed up because it could be you know it could be the the parking meter out front we could do the history of parking oh, meters absolutely uh, <laughs> there's a there's a huge list of things that i'm sure everyone is just losing their minds over right now
0: right the vending machines out of snickers bars uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah those ancient machines that don't take dollar bills in it yet Oh I know. Oh my god, we have a vending we we have a vending machine at work and the people that stock it have just not realized this, but they stock it so well or not not even so well, they stock it in a way that when you buy one Coca-Cola, there's one just hanging off the edge and so you can just literally shake it down. So I've probably stolen about ten dollars <laughs> over the course of like two months. <laughs> there was and a- they're like seventy there's seventy five cents. There was a
1: uh, a vending machine at a job site that we were on uh, a couple months ago over the winter, um, and it was very similar situation except with Baby Ruth, and I really like Baby Ruth bars. And so what it would do is it it spit one out, and then the next one behind it would kind of I'm doing like hand signs here to one not realizing <laughs> that the audience isn't picking up on that. Um, <clears throat> the next baby roof would kind of tilt back and want to slide out through the bottom of the little curly cue thing <laughs> that's amazing and so if you were if you are really lucky you caught it on those right on the right days when everything was
0: timed up just right you just give it a little elbow shove and you'd get two oh baby my. roof bars i love it i love it i'd always like look over my shoulder <laughs> to make sure nobody's coming by the break room while i'm like on this machine trying to get this coke you can always tell on
1: machines that you can do that with because there's like a bunch of dents in the wall behind the machines
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> so you well, like into, the paint <laughs> yeah so you missing. could walk
1: in somewhere and be like oh that machine it either a like screws up and doesn't give people what they want and they start shaking out of anger or b it gives people two of things if you start shaking <laughs> yeah right. but you can always oh my-
0: tell oh it's so good i almost feel like vetting machines nowadays should just go to like the whole crane game they would just make a killing because there's no way for one people are even going to get anything from it well yeah uh,
1: especially you know those you know that exact person i'm talking about that immediately first thing they do when they walk into work is they go get their morning mountain dew or morning pepsi or whatever from the machine and those people would lose their minds yeah, you know, right. they be putting fifty bucks for the quarters in in a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh my god. <laughs> 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 i love it uh, yes
0: episode 69 is all about the history of arcades um we're going to be talking about their kind of emergence how the technology has changed over the years uh down to uh kind of the decline of arcades in the late 80s and the mid 90s when home consoles got to be big and then we'll finish out the show talking about what arcades have become today and what ben and i really like about them um as well as the kind of different barcades that we see around town and uh how everything had to kind of change with the times so anything else man should we just get jump on in let's just hop right on into it all right i'm trying to think of some weird pun arcade wise to get into this but i don't think
1: i was thinking of for like the past five minutes too and i couldn't come up with anything
0: all right (laughs) press select to add player two ah there we go all right let's get into it
1: All right, who wants to take off beginnings? All right, I'll go right into the beginning. So the first popular arcade games included early amusement park midway games, such as shooting galleries, ball toss games, um, and the earliest coin-operated machines, such as those that claimed to tell a person's fortune or played mechanical music. <clears throat> the old midways of the 1920s-era amusement parks, such as uh, Coney Island in New York, provided and Uh, inspiration and atmosphere for later arcade game establishments Uh, moving on go ahead
0: those like fortune telling ones creep the crap out of me I know they're super creepy and they're
1: yeah I, I know where they're going with you know this them being I know that they kind of led into the whole arcade game thing but the you know the fortune telling and the music playing you know it's hard to really call those games they really just kind of fit The bill for being coin operated um right right but yeah they were i've never seen one that isn't super creepy
0: yeah and it's always like you're gonna go to bed today how did they know i just (laughs) didn't know i had no idea yeah it's either such uh it's
1: either such super obvious stuff like that that it's like well of course that's true or it's super obscure stuff that could be misinterpreted in a or could be interpreted in a bunch of different ways, and so it could be true as well. So you know they're like fortune cookies where right. they make they're so vague they almost make no sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: moving on into the 1930s, the first coin the first coin operated pinball machines <laughs> <Forced>. emerged. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's hard. Where's it hard, man? <laughs> the, These early amusement machines differ from the later electronic cousins in that they were usually made of wood. Um, They lacked plungers or light-up bonus surfaces on the playing field and used mechanical instead of electronic scoring readouts. Uh, Pinball mania swept America's youth throughout the 1930s and 40s, but authorities had a few concerns about this. Uh, Many states had extremely strict anti-gambling laws, and it was uh, often argued that pinball machines violated these decrees. Um, And due to the nature of the early pinball machines, they were often considered a game of chance, um, not really even skill. Uh, And going along with that, some of these early pinball machines actually paid out cash, real cash, for uh, high scores and winners.
0: I honestly had no idea anymore. I mean, it's like tickets, or mm-hmm. you just play for your own enjoyment. I had no idea that you actually like got tangible cash back out from that. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, even the tickets
1: thing. It's you know, it's been a long time since I've been to any any kind of arcade. Um, but it seems like the the pinball machines themselves aren't usually a uh, a real ticket heavy game anyway. They're more of just, you know, right. something to do for fun that you put your your tokens into and and instead of, you know, playing a game where you're trying to get, you know, high scores for tickets and that sort of stuff.
0: Right. So or that, you just see the scoreboard and you're like, I want to beat aAA you know? Right. Yeah, you want to be top <laughs> of the list. <clears throat> yep. Um
1: some municipalities were so worried about pinball that they actually banned them due to the, you know, being conceived as gambling. The most famous case is New York City Mayor LaGuardia personally smashing a pinball machine with a hammer in 1942. Going along with this, it would lead to a pinball ban that would remain until 1972. That's crazy. 30
0: years. (laughs) Yeah. 30 years. Can you
1: imagine someone getting in trouble for running an illegal underground
0: pinball operation? Oh, man. (laughs) I mean, it had to happen. Absolutely. God, that's crazy. Uh, Ugh. Yeah, can you imagine going to that briefing room at um, NYPD? All right, fellas. Today <laughs> Johnson, we, today Stevens, got you're on the pinball machine heist. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't chase them. Just seize machines. That's all we're there for. <laughs> Let them go. Oh, that's, my God. All hilarious. right, moving on. <laughs> I know, it's crazy to think about. Moving on into the electromechanical games um, and their emergence. So in 1966, Sega introduced an electromechanical game called Periscope, an early submarine simulator and light gun shooter, which used lights and plastic waves to simulate sinking ships, s- s- ships from a submarine. <laughs> so pretty much what these electromechanical games are is that they kind of use a, a simple electric circuit and then also like hardwiring for physical, things to move around and simulate. So they had these like plastic waves in this big case, plastic case, and these waves would kind of move or go up and down and it would simulate waves and then ships kind of like being brought down while you targeted and shoot them. So it became an mm-hmm. instant success throughout Japan, Europe and North America. And it was um, actually the first arcade game to cost just a quarter to play. So it kind of set the standard of the coin operated game Uh, in terms of a quarter you know it only took one coin to be able to operate this instead of like you know a dime and a nickel or anything like that so Mm -hmm. just one coin to to do it all and and it's kind of cool to see how that kind of set the ground rules
1: yeah and it was definitely a uh it kind of you know started the mold for later later arcade games more advanced um, electronic arcade games you know these even though they didn't have a screen it's It's kind of a, it was an analog way of, of having a, a screen display. I was, I did a little bit of back reading on this sort of display and there was kind of two main, main camps on how to do this. You could have basically just a background with, uh, actual plastic, uh, or wood moving shapes in front that would be actuated by, you know, whatever the controls were of of the game, um. Or it was also common to have a backlit, like a uh, translucent plastic screen, like uh, a blue screen for the sky or something like that. And then they would backlight oh, it yeah. and have uh, darker objects mo- moving around behind it to make shadows. And you could have uh, different colored plastic uh, translucent shapes that would you know, light up different colors behind that screen. And so it would have kind of the effect of a screen, although it was actually just uh, moving moving pieces
0: that's super cool Mm -hmm. that's cool that you know about that kind of stuff
1: which is pretty neat how you know before the it was super popular to have uh you know electronic boards controlling all of this you know you got to figure out a way to do it and you might as well do it electromechanically rather than
0: electronically right right kind of like the mix between the two Mm -hmm. um In 1967, Tato released an electromechanical arcade game of their own called Crown Soccer Special, a two-player sports game that simulated association football using various electronic components, including electronic versions of pinball flippers. So I almost kind of imagine this is kind of like an electromagnetic uh, sorry electromechanical arcade game of like foosball with two people playing and you can kind of move these pieces around Mm -hmm. and simulate soccer in front of you um within this case which is really pretty sweet Mm -hmm.
1: yeah that's kind of the
0: feel i got from it as
1: well i don't have much information on on how this worked but that's basically what i took from it as well Is just a an an electric electric not electronic an electric uh foosball game
0: right oh, i love it only wish you know i mean i wish we were back then and then just hearing the hum of the electric pieces going back and forth like <laughs> zzz, like you know simulating running but they just have the same stance everywhere they went and <laughs>
1: yeah they just kind of dance across the screen
0: <laughs> right <laughs>
1: <laughs> or, or field or um, table or whatever it is if it's not a screen
0: right right (laughs) sega later produced gun games which uh resemble first person shooter video games but were in fact electromechanical games that used rear image projection kind of what you were talking about Mm -hmm. um the first of these appeared in 1969 and known famously as duck hunt that was actually um ported over to the nes i believe the nes yep i got Uh, it i got it yeah oh that's good stuff Mm because it was like it was duck hunt and uh mario it was
1: duck hunt super mario and then there were also versions that it was three games all in one and that's what i have it was mario duck hunt and oh geez it was uh like olympic athlete or something like that but you had i think you had to have the uh the mat for the floor for that you you can't play it with a regular controller
0: I see. That's super cool. Mm-hmm. So, duck hunt uh, featured animated moving targets on screen, printed out by the player's score on a ticket, and had valuable sorry and had volume controllable sound effects, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, That same year, Sega released an electromechanical arcade racing game called Grand Prix, which had a first-person view, electronic sound, a dashboard with a racing wheel, an accelerator, and a forward-scrolling road projected on the screen. So almost like it would take the electrical impulses of how you turn the wheel and kind of move the projected roadway in front of you, um, which I feel like is really ahead of its time um, for those kind of games and, and really kind of laid the ground rules for... For uh, arcade racers, which mm-hmm. are a lot of fun, um, and then in 1978, video game Space Invaders was brought into the electromechanical build and really made that kind of style of arcade game very popular and kind of boosted arcades up into the limelight. So, super super cool. <laughs> Anything else to add on those uh, big <laughs> on, uh, on those? No, I just want to say
1: those three games that we really talked about those early electromechanical games, uh, Duck Hunt, Grand Prix. And Space Invaders, they were so popular, um, even before the electronic, the electronic arcade game era, that they were carried over um, into regular electronic consoles as well as home consoles as well. I I don't believe I have it anymore, but when I was a kid, I used to have the uh, Grand Prix on the NES. Um, oh yeah space invaders has been remade for pretty much every console ever made even the most modern of consoles right it's still that popular um and so that just kind of illustrates the impact that these uh, that these games had duck hunt as well i believe i believe there was versions of the duck hunt all the way up through on the wii oh really <clears throat> i believe so yeah um that's amazing and so Definitely, some of the you know those three early games were also three of the one of the most and some of the most enduring games out there. Right, God, I love it. Mm-hmm. All right, so transitioning forward a little bit, we kind of have the the birth of the more modern arcade game that we that we know today. Um, in 1971, students at Stanford University set up uh, the Galaxy game, a coin-operated version of the video game Space War. Later in the same year, Nolan Bushnell created the first mass-manufactured, ga- uh, excuse me, first mass-manufactured game, Computer Space. I have absolutely no information on what those <laughs> games are all about. Um, I don't either. No, but uh those directly paved the path for in nineteen seventy two Atari was formed by Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney. Atari essentially created the coin operating video game industry with the game Pong, the first successful electronic ping pong video game. That That's Pong is one of those games it's it's kind of a weird hybrid. the original pong was a weird hybrid of of games because it wasn't even in nineteen seventy two and starting off you know being the considered one of the first electronic games out there, it was still all um hardware based and i I think we we might have talked about this when uh Andy was on the show a while back and we were talking about retro video games um <clears throat> how a lot of the components of the game aren't, you know, they're not just running on a little microprocessor inside the box. It's Mm -hmm. extremely dependent on the actual, uh, the hardware. That's, that's why it's so, it's actually extremely difficult to, uh, emulate Pong because it's, it's not like you can just copy over the code and adapt it for a different operating system. You actually have to, you have to copy it. You have to take everything that the game does and uh, try to replicate it in a totally different language that was not even programmed in, you know, in originally. And that's totally, these are totally basic, you know, a layman's explanation for, for what's actually going on in there. But it's, it's interesting because it's a weird hybrid of, of games. You know, it's, it's got, it right. does have a rudimentary uh, electronic board in it, but it's also, it's not doing any thinking really internal to that board. It's all still hardware
0: right and it's interesting too because you know a lot of the the big different staple of arcade versus like home console systems Mm -hmm. is that arcade games are very much like specific like this is what this game does and it's on average you play for you know 15 20 minutes and then you're done and then the game resets and does the exact same thing but -hmm. you know with like when home consoles obviously came around we'll talk about that a little bit more but it's like those have a lot more diversity in terms of where you can go in the game, how you can play the game, the game can play differently per person, per console, what have you. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely see what you're saying, where a lot of these games were put on just like hardware because the game was built to do one thing and do it well.
1: Right, exactly. And it it kind of, there's, they're kind of the same, but kind of different. It's, they're, uh, they're designed to do entirely different functions. You know, at a home console, you're not having you know 20 50 100 200 people play it a day all needing to restart every time you know you get into the the home market like that and you start making pretty people pretty angry when you have to start over every single time
0: (laughs) right (laughs) that's funny it's pretty stinking aggravating pretty cool that atari was kind of spearheading the whole arcade Mm mm-hmm Arcade thing, so. Um, All right, moving on into the golden age of arcades. Tato's Space Invaders in 1978 proved to be the first blockbuster arcade game, um, and its success marked the beginning of kind of the golden age of what we know of arcade games. Video game arcades sprang up in shopping malls. Small corner arcades appeared in restaurants, grocery stores, bars, and movie theaters all over the United States. Pretty much where you could plug an arcade game in, you would be able to find one and play a game or two. Japan and other countries were also involved during the late 1970s and early 1980s. Space Invaders uh, back in 78, um, Galaxian in 1979 pac-man in 1980 battle zone in 1980 defender in 1980 and bosconian in 1981 were especially popular throughout the arcades so those were kind of the spearheaders um and you know if you would have a sizable arcade it's almost guaranteed that you'd find at least one or two of all these games in that place it was the games that people were sought out to play Hmm.
1: i you know um, i i, I... Just looking at that game list right there, I mean, I'm familiar with quite a few of them. I don't, I can't say I've ever played Battle Zone, Defender, or Bosconian. Um, obviously, Space Invaders, Space Invaders. Who hasn't played that? Uh, Galaxian is another fantastic right. one. Pac Man is, you know, you live under a rock if you've never played Pac Man. Um, <laughs> right. But the other, I don't know about you, but I have, I don't really know anything about the Battle Zone, Defender, and Bosconian.
0: I don't know much about those either. Battlezone I've heard about a little bit just because Mm -hmm. of the podcast I listen to, but by no means have I ever seen it or played it. Mm -hmm. Um, I should have done a little bit more digging. I'm not really sure when Galaga came up to be uh, pretty prominent. Uh, I'm guessing throughout the 80s. I'm guessing throughout the 80s.
1: Yeah, Um, I believe, I don't know this at all. I don't know if it was, I don't know who put it out. Um, I don't. also don't know the maker of uh, Galaxian. But I think Galaxian was is kind of a precursor to Galaga. I hope I'm not misspeaking, oh. um, because i I believe I believe it's Galaxian that I have played, and it's very similar to where you you know you're moving around and you've got your ship, and it's kind of a brick of um enemies, um,
0: right? Kind of like a top down shooter. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's I th- I think it's it's just a little bit more
0: simplified than than Galaga.
1: Okay. I think. I'm with you. I think. Um,
0: um Anyway. All right. I I like it. Moving on. By the by 1981, the arcade video game industry was worth 8 billion dollars, which is 22 billion dollars in two, 20, 2018. Absolutely crazy. Like the amount of worth that the arcade industry fluctuates is so mind-blowing. Like check this out. So during the 1970s, 80s, Um, And other chains that kind of picked up on this arcade hike was Chuck E. Cheese's, Ground Round, Dave & Buster's, Showbiz Pizza Place, and Gotti's Pizza combined the traditional restaurant and bar environment with arcades as well. So kind of an all-encompassing entertainment and kind of go out, like let's go out tonight, Dave & Buster's, play some games, eat some food grab some drinks. Mm-hmm. So by the late 80s, the arcade video game craze was beginning to fade due to advances of the home console industry. Kind of, uh, they were cheaper to produce, easier to produce, uh, and people can just kind of go a one-stop shop, go out, pick a home console, bring it home, play whatever you want. So by 1991, U.S. arcade video game revenues has had fallen to $2.1 billion. So from... $8 billion to 2.1 within a span of about 10 years. That's yeah. absolutely crazy. What is
1: that, like a like a 75% drop? <laughs> yeah. Which is just, that's, I mean, 75% drop in a market would be crazy over 100 years, let alone in 10.
0: Right. <laughs> because just, just look at how many companies, people, <clears throat> you know, everything in between bought into this craze and then 5 years later everything just goes broke
1: yeah it'd be interesting to look at a it'd be interesting to look at a graph that has the decline of the arcade industry overlaid on top of like a uh, a display of when consoles were released like you know 1980 there's the NES and a you know 82 is the Super NES like have all the those games laid out over top of a graph that also shows uh the video the arcade market at the same time and look how it coincide drops coincide with releases of new consoles
0: right and and even sure like maybe popular games of the time right absolutely mm-hmm. and maybe like popular games of the time where it's like okay the NES is out but then this is when Pong came out, like, oh, or, or this is where, um, you know, doom came out, you know, you know, like something comes out that coincides where it's like, oh, okay, I can play this first push and shooter that resembles what I play at the arcade, but now I can do it at home mm-hmm. without spending a quarter. So right. it'd be, it'd be interesting to see that kind of thing.
1: So moving on, uh, continuing into the 1980s, <clears throat> um, Sega AM2's Hang On, designed by Yu Suzuki and running on the Sega Space Harrier hardware, <clears throat> was the first <laughs> Sega's Super Scalar arcade system boards that allowed pseudo 3D sprite scaling at high frame rates. <laughs> um, all right, in, in, in layman terms, what is yeah, that? Mean? So, <clears throat> um uh, It kind of was the pseudo 3D sprite tile scaling was handled in a similar manner to textures in later texture map polygonal 3D games of the 1990s. And all that's basically saying is that uh, a sprite is basically like if you have if you have a character on the screen um, that moves about the background, that would be a sprite. So like uh, a a ghost on Pac-Man or Pac-Man himself moving around on the screen, that's a sprite. Um, so it's
0: like a pre, like a pre-rendered thing that never changes, but then you move around on top of it.
1: Correct.
0: Yes. Um, and so
1: basically, all this is saying is these more powerful boards were able to, um, to scale it, better in size. So you could grow okay. uh, larger, smaller, and instead of being a little choppy, where it's basically kind of re-rendered every time, you could smoothly increase and decrease in size, um, which. That kind of tied along to the tile scaling, um, tiles being the units of. How's the best way to say this? The units of texture on a surface. Um, the, so a certain texture would be loaded in, and basically a square tile, and that would be overlaid over whatever. Trying to add texture to, well, when this is tiled to the sprite scale, or when this is tied to the sprite scaling, it would allow the texture of the sprite to increase and decrease according to the overall scaling as well. So basically (laughs) getting even simpler, this it's, it's a more realistic vision on the screen. Um, a lot smoother, more realistic. Um, and it was taking advantage of the more powerful components in these newer games. Awesome. That's cool. So, Designed by Sega AM2's Yu Suzuki, he stated that his, quote, designs were always 3D from the beginning. All the calculations in the system were 3D, even from Hang-On. I calculated the position, scale, and zoom rate in 3D and converted it backwards to do- to 2D. So he, I was always thinking... <laughs> to 2D. <duty. in> th- <laughs> to 2D. So I was always thinking in 3D, unquote. <laughs> so basically he was talking about how... One of the, the driving forces be, behind him trying to uh, to make games as realistic as possible um, was to think about it in 3D and how the objects would interact with each other um, looking at it in real life and try to mimic that as much as possible on a 2D display to to maximize the visuals. Okay. Okay. Um, it was controlled using a video game arcade cabinet that resembled a motorbike, which player which the player actually moves with their body. Um, and this is kind of the beginning of the uh, what's called the Taken trend, uh, the use of motion controlled hydraulic arcade cabinets in many arcade games in the late 1980s. Two decades before motion controls became popular on video game consoles. Uh, and so this, pretty much any time you every arcade I've ever been to, I've seen like a. Uh, a motorcycle game or a um, jet ski racing game where you basically sit right. on that motorcycle or jet ski and you're moving side to side and there's there's input where the the control I'll say controller even though you're basically sitting on a motorcycle well it'll vibrate and move and jostle a little bit but you also have to physically move it back and forth um, to control the game um, and that's kind of where all of this got started by uh, Sega AM2 and Yu Suzuki.
0: That's cool. I Mm -hmm. like it. Those those always seemed like a lot of fun, Um, but the it it was almost so popular that the lines were always way backed up. Either Mm -hmm. that or there was already broken. Always. Yeah, it seems like
1: (laughs) I was just gonna say something about that. Like that's cool. the 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 technology behind all of that stuff is cool, um, and it has a definite huge novelty to it. Um, but it's it's also one of those things that's going to get absolutely abused by the hooligans going in and out of a car arcade um, right and so yes I agree those are always those are ones always have out of order signs on them you know and right. they fix them and then like two days later they're broken again
0: <laughs> right <laughs> I mean just the more, the more parts you add into it the more parts that are potential to and especially like parts that people actually interact with hands on, right? It's bound to happen. Yeah, so.
1: something that somebody's actually putting their body weight on and slinging it around, and yeah, it's right. It's cool. It's it is cool, and it's it's just people. <laughs> there's there's always going to be a better idiot, and they're always going to abuse it.
0: <laughs> oh dang it! Oh sorry, <laughs> sorry. Oh boy. Oh man, get <laughs> your stinking cats <laughs> off the desk. <laughs> But I did lose. I did lose it when you said there's always going to be a better idiot. That was amazing. <laughs> All right, moving on into the resurgence, kind of uh, bringing back arcades after the after the decline. Um, arcades experienced a major renaissance while uh, with the 1991 release of Capcom's Street Fighter II, which popularized competitive fighting games and revived the arcade industry to a level of popularity not seen since the heydays of pac-man its success led to a wave of other popular games that mostly were in the fighting genre such as pit fighter back in 1990 by atari mortal Kombat by midway games virtual fighter in 1993 by sega killer instinct in 1994 by rare and tekken in 1994 by namco it's kind of crazy how fighting genre really took arcade by storm i mean just look at that i mean it is a great genre for an arcade though you know you pin two people up On a screen with two joysticks, two other, like, you know, four buttons total, people are going to go haywire about that, and especially where it's like, hey, man, like, look at that, we can spend five minutes and just kick the crap out of each other Mm -hmm. virtually, I mean, and even coincide with uh, the fighting genre being kicked off on the home console system as well, I mean, it was just a big thing, and a lot of fun to do, because it required quite a bit of skill you know the more the better that you know and learn the moves the more you can play the game mm-hmm. right so you exactly. almost get rewarded for winning for winning as well um, and, there and, was, and that was a cool cool little mechanic and there was a, a
1: a different dynamic for the competitive nature of the games too you know it's less about uh, less about trying to get your initials up there on the high score chart and more about um, being able to play against someone else that you're standing directly next to right you know, at the same time right. and so you could have um there was an element of you know actual tournaments that you could kind of start making up on the spot there you know where you pretty much play till you lose and someone else comes in and and keeps playing and so there's just a just a different feel to these games overall
0: right it's cool and, and they're fun to watch too mm-hmm. you know they're a good time to watch mm-hmm um 3d polygon graphics were popularized by the sega model one games like virtua racing in 1992 and virtua fighter in 1993 followed by other racing games like the namco the ridge racer um 1993 and sega titled daytona usa um you know 3d po- polygonal polygonal uh, graphics really changed the really changed the game with arcades i mean everything looked a lot more beautiful colors were vibrant. Um, you were just able to get away with a lot more and kind of captivate the audience um, and catch their attention while they're walking by. And that was something that was really needed to be done um, for the arcades to come back. Um, and it did, and it proved really well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it was uh, it was just a way of making the game so much more realistic. I mean, before you were really kind of limited to um, uh, basic shapes, um, you, fairly bland colors, um, you know, you could, you could still have textures and that sort of thing, but it all was super dependent on, uh, everything was really boxy and square. And this is where we could see really nice, uh, curvature generation on the screen, um, as well as different fade patterns across the curve. So just to be able to, just the highlights and the shading that were capable with polygonal graphics, um, Made everything pop off the screen that much better, and added so much more depth to the games that were still fairly 2D, two-dimensional.
0: Right right. And, and to add on to this, the, the few titles that you know people seek out in arcades even today, um, very popular: Light gun shooters, like Sega's Virtual Cop. That was brought in by ni- in 1994. Mm-hmm. And Mesa Logic's Area 51 in 1995 gained considerable popularity in the arcades. You know, along with the fighting games, this almost gave you a chance to kiss and make up after you beat each other in the fighting game <laughs> to, you know, team up and then kill aliens in Area 51. I mean, this game, they did it so well. Um, and it's just so much fun to play. Uh, you know, and it, it, it's just kind of a cool little... Cool little thing to do, um, and you know, obviously, like there's a lot more tangible things as well. So instead of just like the motorcycles and jet skis, now you have these big plastic guns that are fun to hold and shoot. You know, like it's a cool, cool prospect for arcades. Um, yeah, I
1: mean, it's that's that's the trend that we've seen all across, you know, the, across the entire history of video games. Is is every Every year, there's a strive to make things as realistic as possible, and so every time there's a major development, um, you know, in making things more realistic, there's going to be a somewhat of a boom in the market, um, you know, towards that trend.
0: Right. I love it. Um, arcade cabinets and games were able to stay ahead of the fifth generation consoles uh, for home gaming uh, like the PS1, N64, and Sega Saturn due to their customizable but limit on the types of games that could be actually be played. So arcade cabinets were very customizable in terms of how they looked, how they played, where they could be, what could be put on them. And so their graphics and kind of because they had so much more um you know, real estate to kind of put better sound chips in there, put better graphic chips in there. Arcade stayed ahead of the home console gen- generation for a little while. But um, the convenience of home games eventually caused the decline in arcade gaming in the late 1990s, especially with Sega's Dreamcast. This kind of, uh, you know, put the put the final nail in the coffin, coffin rounding out the eight, 90s for the arcades. Home systems were able to outperform as well as remain cheaper for manufacturing than the full cabinets of arcade games. So, you know, the plastic was cheaper um, and it was easier to, to just build the machine that could run software built by other companies mm-hmm. at that time rather than just one big cabinet doing one specific purpose. And that's kind of uh, where their money making went to. Sega kind of dipped out of the arcade business and started doing their home console systems and that's where that's where the big jump came um and then from there arcades kind of went away for a while but they are starting to come back especially with the big nostalgia wave um anything else you wanted to add in before we talk a little bit about our current day experiences and round out the show
1: uh no i think you know it's looking at the transition from you know arcades being really popular to home consoles being popular it's it's a. I just see it as there's so many different things that, you know, happen all at once to make, to kind of make that transition even, even sharper. Um, you know, cause it was a really relatively quick, quick movement. Um, you know, these, the, the competition that we saw in the, between, uh, Sony and Nintendo, um, and then later Microsoft jumped into it as well. Um, you know, there's, it's, I kind of like what you hit on with it being cheaper to manufacture as well. That's something that I hadn't really thought about before. Um, You know, you think about a console and it's, yeah, it might do one thing. It might do that one thing really well, but it only does that one thing. But think how much work goes into it to make it capable of being played nonstop by hundreds of people every day. I mean, it's it's built more on, it's like thinking of it being built as industrial uh, quality rather than like a game console being, consumer quality you know and both of them are really good at what they do but the consumer (laughs) level one it just doesn't need to be as it doesn't need to be as built as hardy as the actual stand-up console does even though it might last just as long and it might outlast the uh the uh the stand-up console you know, you don't you don't have a bunch of different meatheads every day coming in and button mashing it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have only a right. couple people, you know, maybe if you're having a bunch of friends over and stuff, you have half a dozen to a dozen people all kind of passing controllers around and playing. But, you know, it's just a it just turned into a totally different ball game once uh, home cons- home consoles became popular.
0: Right. Right. All right. Rounding out the show, we're going to be talking about how we see arcades and what we've seen around our areas um, with what arcades have become today. So doing a little searching around, I found some some cool little topics we can discuss for just a couple of minutes before saying goodbye. Um Something I kind of noticed is that arcade games now are almost bigger and better games with new ways to interact. So what I meant is how like these games are able to be built bigger, include more people, and kind of grab your attention faster. Like, look at how Dance Dance Revolution became a big thing in arcades, you know? Now you actually have people up on your platforms moving to the sound of music and hitting these buttons while also dancing. New ways to interact. Or what about, you know, the kind of rock bandish games that were now turned into mm-hmm. arcade games where there are mock drum sets and stuff for people to pay a quarter or a dollar and four people can play at once to complete a song. Um, you know, that kind of thing goes a long way with bringing people into the arcade realm.
1: Yeah, and I've also noticed uh, a pretty big, not that I, I don't go to arcades that often, the one that I have been at most recently, um, I believe, you know, Acres of Fun in Worcester, Ohio, um, relatively small arcade. They have other stuff, you know, go karts and laser tag and that sort of stuff. But uh, I every time I go there, I notice how there's like a brand new uh, touchscreen game. Pretty much every time I go, where it's oh, I'm okay. seeing how popular that's getting. Is it's basically instead of it's still a screen directly in front of you, but it's just a gigantic touchscreen that you're interacting with and not necessarily. Joysticks and buttons kind of games.
0: Crazy. So I think I think I know what you're talking about. Almost where like remember when like Fruit Ninja was such a big thing when yeah. you know for your for your iPods or you know, had um That's one of them iPhones I believe that's one of them.
1: It's fruit it's Fruit Ninja right. on a big giant screen, yeah.
0: Right. Isn't that crazy how that made that transition from a mobile game to mainly being an arcade game now? I mean, it's great on them because it's a great idea for an arcade game, but right. crazy.
1: Doodle Jump is another one. That's another big one that oh. they have at Acres. It's a gigantic vertical screen. I think it has a. Uh, I don't think that one's a touch screen. It, well, it might be as far as like selecting, like before you start the game, selecting your character and all that stuff oh but i think okay. in the okay. front of it it's got just basically a big giant uh single direction joystick that you just move back and forth with and it's it's the game everybody knows of doodle jump from you know your uh smartphone
0: but it's now a it's now a arcade game crazy yeah crazy um and then also kind of just barcades where craft breweries have become such a big thing mm-hmm. now it's like coupling with barcades so it's like when I went to up in Omaha uh was you go in and then you know during happy hour you 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 get a beer they give you five coins for free during happy hour you know <laughs> and you just go out there's there's nothing you win there's nothing you do but you know they got like Virtua fighter street fighter mortal Kombat ski ball they got uh hydro thunder you know like things like that pac-man um and you know they have like one of those big tabletop Pacmans mans where four people can play at once Mm -hmm. oh yeah and you know it's it's just a cool environment like that where now it's more of just a supplement for a business rather than winning or anything like that um and you know it's like there's no food there's no nothing it's just craft beer and arcades with these big nostalgia comebacks Uh, you know it's a lot of fun it's a good time
1: yeah it it does sound like it we don't you know i I could be totally wrong but i don't know of of any of those really in my immediate area you know i'm sure i could go to you know cleveland or columbus or you know uh, a big city like that um but i don't think there's there's really any of those those type of establishments around where i live um or else i definitely would have been there in a heartbeat
0: (laughs) right (laughs) they're really fun we actually have one here in lincoln and it's kind of like down underneath like in the basement of a restaurant or whatever oh that's even better Um, yeah and it's cool so you go down these steps next to the air conditioners you go underneath and all that nice and cool it's really dark and they have like the original um, like Mario and Donkey Kong with Donkey Kong up throwing barrels down Mm -hmm. that kind of thing yep Um, it's a good time it's a good time that's fantastic uh, I know whenever you come out which should be soon Mm -hmm. we'll have to yeah we gotta get out there Um, and then the one last thing I could think of to talk about uh, feel free to talk about anything if you if it comes to your mind but a raspberry pi anymore where these games for a full cabinet the game itself ran on you know kilobytes megabytes of data Mm -hmm. nowadays you can literally load almost every single arcade game you can think of onto a five gigabyte raspberry pi put it on a tiny little screen or even make your own home made arcade cabinet with so many games not even just arcade games but like old NES games or something like that all loaded onto it one small little thing that you could pick up for 20 bucks just get yeah. all these ROMs and load it on yeah
1: it's uh it's really pretty cool my brother has one it's
0: uh That's so cool it's yeah crazy.
1: I believe uh it's called uh Retro Pie that's what they call them
0: oh okay and uh, I like
1: it he doesn't have his setup in like a console or anything even though that would be really cool um it's but it's yeah it's pretty much any game that you can think of on any console that you can think of it'll it you can download uh, emulators for all those consoles and then it's just a matter of finding the finding the roms for the games um and it'll it'll play them and you can you don't have to worry on later games where you can uh like the uh nintendo 64 era and playstation one where you start to have to uh have memory cards to save your games you don't have to worry about all of that because you can save your games to internal memory slots um, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, your batteries in your cartridges going bad um, or batteries right. on the boards in, like you, you'd you have to have uh, some sort of storage in like the console games, the upright console games for arcades to store high scores and stuff. You don't have to worry about any of those batteries going dead because they're all saved to the hard drive on the Raspberry Pi and uh, it's an actual um, not only can you play them on the Raspberry Pi it's it's, you can actually load in a uh, an operating system since it's you know for anyone who doesn't know what a raspberry pi is it's basically a tiny little computer that you can it's all open source and you can do anything you want on it you can use it as just a computer or you can write your own code to do to make it do whatever you want mm-hmm. um, and so there's actual operating systems that you can run in there to where it's as soon as you turn it on it immediately boots right to a uh 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 user interface where you just select your console you want to play and then it'll load that console
0: right or and all your games and all that and it's it's crazy it's super cool Mm but yeah so kind of you know that whole home arcade aspect is huge today Mm -hmm. um that's about all i could think of though in terms of topics for nowadays i thought that pretty (laughs) yeah well i think that's that.
1: did pretty much round out uh, where we're at today. I mean, it's definitely making a comeback. And, you know, even if it's not a an est- in an establishment, like we talked about with the Raspberry Pis, it's still, there's still a demand for it, but we're just seeing it kind of uh, manifesting itself in a little bit more convenient uh, avenues. I mean, you know, you can have every single arcade game you could ever imagine right in your pocket. And you, all you got to do is pull it out and plug in a controller and plug in it to a TV, and now you're playing games
0: right that's great mm-hmm. all right I think that pretty much rounds us out here for episode 69 history of arcades as always thank you so much for joining us we love having you here talking about history as well as interesting topics along the way you can find us on Google Podcasts Spotify Apple Music sorry Apple Podcasts <laughs> <laughs> But if you like what you hear, give us a shout out. You can also hear us on Stitcher. Give us a five-star review. Hit that five-star button. Scroll down. Hit that write write a review button. Let us know what you like. We'll keep on doing it for you guys. It always means a ton. If you have an interesting topic for a show or want to be a guest here with Ben and I, give us an email at YoungNostalgiaPod, that's YoungNostalgiaPod, P-O-D, at gmail.com, and we'll get right back to you. Um, It's been great. Episode 69 was a lot of fun. I thought the topic was super interesting, something we never really died too much into uh, i think i think we've done pretty well the past uh few times it's been good anything else big guy
1: no i think that was a super fun topic hopefully the audience uh you know likes hearing us geek out about this kind of stuff oh uh, yeah you're <laughs> right we don't talk about it too often maybe one or two other times in the past we've had my brother on as a guest talking about uh uh you know retro video games um but you know hopefully us just Geeking out super hard isn't a turn off to the audience because it's fun for us.
0: <laughs> oh, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> it's good. Until the next time, we'll figure out another video game weird kind of thing that we can one off a show on. <laughs> but uh, it means a lot to have you here with us, as always. And what do we always say on Young Nostalgia? Keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. We will talk to you next week.